Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Hi, welcome to the show. I'm Fazia Costi. Um, I am an executive function coach here in the Phoenix, Arizona area. And I work with clients who have um, diagnoses such as ADHD, dyslexia, dyscalculia, anxiety, dysgraphia, um, minor traumatic brain injuries. Um, So I help them improve things like their time management skills, focus, organizational skills, things like that. So today I have Dr. Sarah Bald, who is a psychologist in the Phoenix area, Scottsdale area as well. And we are going to take a deeper dive into into understanding executive functioning and associated disorders, as well as provide real-world examples of what you can do to support yourself or your child. Um, Dr. Bald, um, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, Would you like to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. Um, so I currently have a practice that's called Nest Psychological, um, and I had quite the, quite the road to get here. So I did my undergraduate training at Arizona State University. Go Devils! Yay! Um, uh, and then I went on to get my graduate degree at the Arizona School of Professional Psychology. And so through graduate training, we get to do what's called practicals. They're essentially just rotations that you do in different trainings. My very first training was at a school for kids with emotional de- disabilities. Um, in school terms, it's a level D, quote, unquote, placement. Um, but kids who have oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, um, really big emotions, but they just can't handle and can't be in the typical school setting. So I spent a year there. Um, I did a year doing just therapy as a rotation. And then my final rotation in grad school was pediatric neuropsychology. So it was at Belgian Psychological Services, did my training. Um, and stayed on with them when I went on to internship. So my pre-doctoral internship was at the Avondale Elementary School District. I got to be the school psychologist for a couple of their programs. Nice. Um, learned a lot. I, I thought that was the best route for me because I knew I wanted to work with kids and families. And so in order to do that, you got to understand the lingo. <laughs> lingo. You have to understand the system that they're in. So I figured a whole year of just crash course, 40 hours a week in the school would give me all that knowledge that I could pass along and share with parents to help support them through their academic journey after my testing. Um, and then I went to Belgian Psychological for my neuropsychology postdoc. Stayed there after I got licensed for a few years and have recently started my own practice over. I'm in kind of the North Phoenix area right now um, and loving it. You know, that's that's awesome. That's that's really awesome. It sounds like you you've got a really well-rounded education so that you can really help individuals um, work and help them navigate their way through their their challenges. Um, do you work with a lot of individuals who have executive function challenges? Yes, that is mostly what I do. So right now I do a combination. Um, I spend my mornings doing assessments and my afternoons doing therapy. My therapy clients are, are a wide range of individuals um, from 
anxiety, two executive function disabilities. And then my, my evaluations, I do comprehensive neuropsych evaluations. So I work with children, teens, and adults who all have some sort of executive function dysfunction occurring um, and want to know why they're having certain struggles in life, whether it be in school and work and relationships. So I do a lot of that executive function testing. Yeah, that, that's, that's really awesome. You know, it, it's interesting. We, we have some similarities in our work and some differences. Like I don't do any testing. So I refer out for all the testing. And, and clearly, that's something that you are very knowledgeable about. But I also work with uh, children as well as teenagers and adults. Do you get a lot of individuals as adults who are professionals who wish maybe they had received treatment at a younger age? Absolutely. And one of my favorite things about what I do is my feedback session. So I'll spend anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours with parents going over their child's results when I do one of these evaluations. And so often I get a parent who's like, "Ooh, that's me. Oh, that explains a lot. Oh, I remember this when I was a kid. So I do. I get a lot of those professionals who are like, oh, if I would have known this when I was younger, I could imagine the course of my life would be much different than it is today. Uh, Absolutely. You know, somebody asked me one time, um, what is the benefit of executive function coaching? What what is the benefit of getting those skill sets under your belt? And the only, the the best response that I could come up with is it's going to make your life easier. It's going to Mm -hmm. make your life so much easier because you're not always trying to compensate for your deficiencies. Would Mm -hmm. you agree with that? Absolutely. And not only are you not trying to compensate for it, but you're using all those strengths that you now know you have to boost up those deficiencies. And maybe I struggle in this area, but I think outside of the box because of that struggle, I've learned to think differently because of that struggle. And so I'm going to be able to be so much more successful because I've had challenges and I've had you know difficulties that other people haven't had and I've overcome those. So if I can do that, then I can do anything. So some of the most successful people I've seen in the workforce have some sort of underlying executive function deficit because they don't think inside the box. They're not your typical person who's like, well, this is the way we've always done it. So I'm just going to keep doing it this way. They are like, this isn't working. Let's try something new. Let me use all of these skills that I've learned to formulate a new problem solving approach, which is why I love executive function coaching and why after my assessments, I'm usually referring to, to you or people like you because let's get these skills on board now so that you can use them in the future. Absolutely. Uh, what are some of the key areas that you consider when you're diagnosing executive function deficiencies? Yeah, so I look at a number of areas because um, executive function really is just a broad umbrella term. And I know you had Dr. Anderson on who did a great discussion on the core of what is executive functioning. So I won't bore you too much, but I'm looking at things like working memory, you know, holding two or more pieces of information online, problem solving it. We use working memory for conversation. I'm thinking about all my past experiences to drive our discussion today. I'm using working memory for behavior management. I have to think about my past consequences. Did this work out for me in the past? Oh, it didn't. So I'm going to change my future behavior. So I'm looking at working memory. I'm looking at impulse control. I'm looking at planning and organization and not necessarily like, is your room clean? Is your backpack clean? That's a whole different story, (laughs) but more along the lines of, are you going when you're problem solving from step one to step two to step three to step four, 
Or are you trying step one, then four, then two? Are you all over the place with your problem solving? And then when information is coming in, does your brain innately organize it? Are you looking at the gestalts, the overall picture of what you're trying to encode and then looking at the details? Or are you more detail-oriented and missing the overall picture? So I'm looking at planning and organization. I'm looking at, obviously, sustained attention is one of the big executive functions that I look at and where a lot of parents see difficulty is that sustained attention. I look at cognitive shift, the ability to change your problem-solving approach based on the feedback you're getting from your environment. So are you trying the same thing over and over and over again, even though it isn't working? Or do you try something, it doesn't work, so now you're going to try something new. So that's cognitive shift. That's right. one of my favorite. <laughs> Being able to adjust to the situation a little bit. Exactly. Or are you just perseverating and gets, getting stuck in, in one thought pattern? Um, another big area for me is called, it's called a couple things. First is focus execute. The other is perception action coupling. Lynn Koziel has done a lot of research in this area. I was blessed to have been trained by him and, and got to do work with him um, over the years before he passed. But focus, execute, perception, action, coupling is the ability to master a skill based on repetition to the point where it's completely automated and you don't have to think it through. So, you know, the first time you drove a car, for example, in your life, the car feels huge, your head's on a swivel, you're hitting the brake too hard, you're hitting the gas too hard. It's like a mess when we first drive. If you think about how you drove to work today, you know, if you drove to work today, obviously we're all locked in our houses, but if you drove to work today, you know, you're on the phone, you're eating breakfast, you're drinking your coffee, you no longer have to think about driving the car. It's just an automatic process. Absolutely. And then it's the ability to blend new information into that mastered skill set to try something new. So in the car example, I can step into a manual car, few extra steps I have to integrate into that last knowledge, but I'm able to do it after just a little bit of practice. So that's huge in school when we think about foundational skills, when we think about summer breaks, fall breaks, winter breaks, that's a really big area for me. And then I'm looking at things like language and and academics as well. But those are my core areas of executive function that I assess for. So that's what you're assessing. But what do you think a parent should assess when they're looking at their children's behavior? How do they decide, does this child need to go in and see somebody or is this something that I as a parent can manage at home? At what point do you recommend somebody go in to see a professional? That's a really great question. And I tend to trust like parents by sense. like parents by sense. nine times out of 10, if you think something's wrong, there's probably something wrong. Like, you know, your kid best. And that's what I tell every parent of you are the expert in your child. I'm an expert in the numbers, but you're the expert in the, in your child's. If there's something you think is happening, there's probably something happening. So Agreed. often what I encourage, and I'm sure you do too, is how is this child in compared to their peers? Like, are their friends doing this? Are they just doing this? The hardest thing, though, then becomes, well, nobody talks about the bad. So everyone has these picture-perfect worlds, and nobody says, nope, my kid goes through that as well. Um, But typically, if you think something's going on, there's something going on. Want to look for markers, too. Are you repeating yourself over and over again? Does it seem like they've tried something a million times, and they're still not getting it? You have consequenced them for the same thing over and over and over again, but they're still engaging that behavior that you're trying to extinguish. 
are you frustrated? Is your kid frustrated? Are they starting to act out? Are they starting to display big feelings that seem to come out of nowhere? These are my big warning signs for parents. Yeah, I think that last one is the one I see a lot where the parents are just, when I get a phone call from a parent, it's usually, I've tried everything and my frustration level is, you know, at its at its worst. I can't, I can't right. handle this anymore and I need help. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I got an, uh, an email yesterday. Uh, the very first word in the email was help me <laughs> or help. Actually, it was help exclamation mark. It was just this person needed help. And, you know, I, I get that a lot. I get that a lot from parents where they're just frustrated and they've tried everything from, um, you know, organizing their child's schedule themselves or having, you know, working with the school, getting the IEP, you know, working with accommodations. Every single thing they've tried has not gotten them anything to the level of success they were hoping for. So, they finally need professional help. Right. Do you, a lot of the students that I get have ADHD. Uh, what are some of the warning signs of ADHD and how, how does that fit in with executive function? Yeah. So ADHD is an executive function deficit, um, which I'm sure you know, <laughs> and most people kind of recognize um, the two are not mutually exclusive, but you can definitely have an executive function deficit without the ADHD. Um, my big warning signs for ADHD are very different between boys and girls. So you can think of your boys. Your boys are typically, they get picked on. Gender definitely matters. They get picked on. They are acting out in class. Teachers oh, never have nice things to say. Those parent-teacher conferences are always painful. Um, you've got three types of ADHD too. So I don't like that they did this. When they redid our diagnostic manual, how we make diagnoses, they switched from the typical lingo of ADD versus ADHD. Mm -hmm. Now it's all ADHD, but it's inattentive type, hyperactive type, and combined typed. So you're hyperactive and combined typed. We all know these kids. They're bouncing off the wall. They're jumping around. They can't sit still. They're getting up five, six times throughout dinner. You're having to like literally tie them to the chair if you want them to stay in in their chair. The hard thing is your inattentive type. Now, this is predominantly in females, but it's in males, too. Um, And it's especially in males in, like, the gifted population, for example. We get a lot of inattentive within that twice exceptional. Mm -hmm. But the inattentive type, I'm looking at, you know, kids who are a pleasure to have in class. Their teachers have nothing but nice things to say about them. But we can't figure out why they're failing all their tests. Homer seems to go well because they're doing it at home with parents and parents are checking it. But then we get to the test time and it's like, you know, all this. Why did you get an F? Why did you get a D? So it's really those subtle markers where nobody thinks there's a problem, but all of a sudden we're failing a test. Or these kids are starting to develop things that problems about the problem is what I call them. So we start to see some anxiety or some depression because I have every intention to do well, but I'm not doing well. And I don't understand why I'm not doing well. Yeah, and I think Um, they don't understand why. They really don't understand why. Right, because the issue with ADHD is you don't know you're you're having an inattentive episode in the moment. Like, you don't even realize it. So then again, when we talk about, like, your family, if they've tried everything, you know, we have literally tried everything. You can't talk a kid out of ADHD because in the moment, they don't realize they're making that mistake. 
you can give them all these great skills. They can go through all these talk therapies, all of these, you know, here's your toolbox. We're literally giving you a toolbox of how to handle the situation. But in the moment, I'm not thinking to use that toolbox. So I still make the mistake. I have every good intention in the world to do well, but now I'm making a mistake. So where's the disconnect? Well, I'm no longer in control of my life. Teachers don't like me. Parents don't like me. I'm failing. I don't know why I'm failing because I'm working my butt off. What is going on? So then you start to see some of that anxiety and that depression roll around with that inattentive type ADHD where kids are performing and look like they're performing really well, but they're not living up to their own standards and their own potential because there's a roadblock in their way. And it really does affect their confidence and their Mm self-esteem. I I notice a lot of kids that come in to see me with uh, ADHD. The very first thing we have to work on is just improving their self-esteem, their self-confidence, and and really getting them to feel better about life before Mm -hmm. we can even work on any of the other executive function skills. Right. Because why bother? Because nothing's ever worked for me before. So I give up. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. It is. It, it's sad. And then, and then you see the parents come in and they're just, you know, basically throwing their hands up in the air going, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I've tried everything. That's, that's a statement I hear a lot. I've tried everything. Right. Um, so um, what do you think, you know, what, what, a, what do you normally see when you, or what do you hear about when you hear about executive function and ADHD in the home? When parents come to you, what do they say their children behave like at home? So that our listeners can look at their children and, and determine with some level of accuracy if, if this is an issue for their family and if they need to re, um, receive outside help. Yeah. So big questions I ask um, in my interview are definitely things I want parents to be looking at. Very first, what does the morning routine look like? Are we repeating ourselves? Have they mastered that morning routine? Or is it every single morning we're having the same fight that we had yesterday, that we had last week, that we had last year? Are we walking out of the house without our shoes? Are we walking out of the house forgetting our homework? Are we leaving things at school? Are we losing items? Like prized possessions of ours. I'm not talking about like homework assignments because that can go either way. But like, I really love this toy and I can't find it and I've totally lost it. Um, I'm looking for even like basic hygiene things. I hate to say it, but like, are we remembering to flush the toilet? Are we remembering to wash your hands? Those are those procedures that we should have mastered. It's like driving the car. Or brushing your teeth. Or brushing your teeth. How many times we brush our teeth? We brush our teeth twice a day. Are you remembering to brush your teeth twice a day or do you need those frequent reminders? Yeah, are you in your hair or, yeah. 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 And normally, like, that's the biggest thing parents come to me with is, like, it's a fight to just get out of the house every morning. And and how do you see the differences in age? Like, what types of things do you see at different age groups? Totally. So, younger years, before academics, I see kids who don't master crawling on hands and knees. Kids who – and. I say these with a grain of salt because these could mean a lot of different things. For example, language. Um, When I think of executive functioning, I think of dyslexia too. Kids who don't acquire language till way later. That could be a gifted thing. That could be a dyslexia thing. That could be just a second child thing. It could be a first child thing if everyone's talking for you. you But kids who are slower to acquire language, slower to crawl, who are clumsy and klutzy on a bicycle, who have a hard time getting off training wheels in those younger years, that's what I'm looking for. In 
school years, I'm looking for, you know, I can't hold on to more than one step instructions of mom told me to do three things and I do one of them. Maybe I do it right. Um, or I, I mix instructions. So now I, I kind of combined two instructions into one thing. I think I've done it. And I'm like, yeah, look at what I did. I finished. And parents are like, no, that's not at all what I asked you to do. Right, right. You send them to go brush their teeth and comb their hair and they come back and they've just combed their hair. Yeah. Yep. Or they, you know, you send them to go do something and you go check on them 20 minutes later and they're sitting in their room playing with their dolls or reorganizing their drawers because, well, you told me to go go to my room and grab something, but I don't remember. So now I'm just <laughs> trying to figure out what so, it is. And I got a little kids who do that too, who like know they've missed something. They don't know what they've missed. So they try to fill in the, I think of ADHD is like Swiss cheese. They got part of it. So they try to fill in the holes of that Swiss cheese. So they're doing something you totally didn't ask them to do because they're really well intent. Like they had good intentions. Oh, absolutely. And so they're trying to figure out what you wanted. So they're doing something that they think will please you. And it's like, no, we're running late. You, I asked you to do three things. Why are you now organizing your room? Why are you now, you know, putting your books away? That's not what I asked you to do, but they're just trying to fill in because they want to do well. They're just trying to fill in. What did mom ask me to do? She sent me here. I know I'm supposed to do something here. This is something she asked me to do two days ago, but it's what's in the forefront of my mind right now. Wow. Yeah, it's it's amazing how kids try so hard to please their parents. And, and they just, with, with these executive function deficiencies, they just cannot do it. Right. It's, it's not really any fault of theirs. And I think that's an important thing. Uh, to let parents know is that these kids are not trying to be difficult. They're not trying to make life difficult for their parents. They truly want to do what's right. Absolutely. But then on the flip side, you get those teenagers who are coming in for a diagnosis for the first time. And at that point, they've developed what's called learned helplessness. So I was that when I was younger, absolutely. But I could never do anything right. So why even bother trying now? So then you get the kids who are reactive, who look like they have like an oppositional defiant disorder, who don't, who are just giving up because I can't do anything right. So why do I bother? It's that learned helplessness that does develop, especially in these kids who aren't diagnosed until much later, who don't understand why their experience is the way it is, because we're born to want to please. I mean, most kids want to please their parents. They want to do well in school. They want to be acknowledged for their successes. And you've got these kids, especially the hyperactive types, who aren't acknowledged for their successes, who just hear the negative over and over and over again. And maybe we give them the positive, but they're not attending to that. They're attending to the negative. Absolutely. And they'll even flat out say, why why should I even bother? Why -hmm. why do I need to do that? I, I, I can never get it right. You know, those negative comments come out of their mouth repeatedly. Right. You know, and I think that's a that's a really important sign as a parent to pay attention to. If you're hearing mm-hmm. that, um, maybe it's time to get somebody else in and help you out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's time to figure out why you are feeling that way. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else about ADHD or um, executive function that you feel is... It's kind of important that parents should look out for. 
Yes, my favorite thing to talk about. Um, something called hyperfocus and stimulus bound behavior. So I cannot tell you how many times I've had a parent come into my office who's like, it's not ADHD because when they're doing something they love, they can focus. So obviously we're dealing with something else. Obviously <laughs> it's a will. They're willfully being lazy. They're being hard-headed. They don't want to do. They're not listening because if it was ADHD, they wouldn't be playing Minecraft five, six hours a day. <laughs> right. But when we think about it, and I'm seeing this trend more and more, and I think part of it is because our video games, our technology, our YouTube, there's a lot of really rich, good neuroscience and a lot of research that goes into this to make it very interesting to us. But the downside is we're in a world where life moves very fast. And so we're used to just go, 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 go. And when it's not go, 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 we have a hard time sitting still. So I'm seeing more of that, but I digress. Um, Stimulus-bound behavior (laughs) is really, it's a reward-centered behavior. I mean, it's like any other reward that you can think of think of dogs. I give you a treat. You get really excited. You're going to do that trick over and over again. It's the same part of the brain, just we're a little bit more advanced than our, our furry friends are. But I do something that is neatly rewarding and engaging. I'm no longer in control. My dopamine system is taking over. It's in control. So it's helping me pay attention because I'm interested in this. I'm getting continuously rewarded for doing it. But then when I take that away, I'm doing something that's not innately engaging that chemical system doesn't help me focus. So the issue with ADHD is not that you can't pay attention. It is to some degree, but it's hard for you to prioritize your attention. So if something's innately rewarding and engaging, you you have no control over that. You're just paying attention. But when you have to do things that your peers are able to do, you have a hard time with that prioritizing your attention. So kids with ADHD definitely can hyper-focus on their interests. They can sit and play video games. They can watch, you know, YouTube for hours on end. Can they sit and watch a movie? Can they sit in the classroom? Can they focus on what you're saying? Again, not willful intent because they want to please. They're just enabled. There's that roadblock there. So one of the um, things that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of parents will tell me, my kid can watch TV for hours. Um, But, you know, is, but then they still have problems attending to other areas in their life. How is that part of executive function? That's totally that stimulus-bound behavior. I mean, that is reward center of the brain kicking in. That is all sorts of struggles. But also, I'm not using a lot of brain power to watch TV. Let's be honest. It's, it's kind of mindless activity. A lot of times when I see kids with executive function deficits, they can do one area very well until I put pressure on that system. I don't necessarily mean pressure like anxiety and, you know, getting, hey, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Rush, rush, rush. Not that kind of pressure. But I'm having them pay attention to something while simultaneously doing another skill. So they're paying attention to what they're hearing, but then they're writing notes or they're copying from the board or they're writing in their planner. As soon as I add that second skill The ability to pay attention takes so much energy that drops off. Now I'm writing down and not paying attention to the teacher or I'm doing neither well because multitasking is kind of a myth. I hate to say it, but it kind of is. We can't do both things equally well, but that's even more so true with kids with executive function deficits. We either ask them to do the one thing that takes a lot of energy for them to do and only that thing, or we put pressure and both things fall off. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. I I, I'm not a big fan of people telling me they can multitask because 
I just see it as going rapidly between one activity to another. It's not really, you're not doing both at the same time. Totally. Or you're making mistakes on both while you're doing them at the same time. Quote, quote. <laughs> exactly. Which, which really goes back to the fact you really can't do two things well at the same time. So, nope. yeah, it's definitely interesting. Uh, I really do appreciate all this, this wealth of information that you've offered our, uh, our listeners. Um, we're going to take a break here in about 30 seconds. So I want to thank you for coming today and joining us. Um, I want to remind our listeners that they can go to voiceamerica.com and um, under the empowerment channel, they can listen to our podcast. So Dr. Bald will actually um, have her podcast up on our site um, sometime tomorrow. So you're welcome to go listen to that. You can also um, find me at um, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes and talk to Dr. Bald a little bit more about executive function. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you inspired by stories about personal empowerment, well-being, and the motivation to achieve more? Get ready for Next Steps Forward with Chris Meek. Each week, Chris will talk with experts and icons from different walks of life who personify energy, direction, excitement, and purpose as they take bold steps forward in pursuit of excellence and service to others. Tune in to Next Steps Forward, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Costi or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email 
Tufazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. I'm Fazia Costi. I'm your host. And today we are talking to Dr. Sarah Bald. Um, and thank you so much, uh, Dr. Bald, for joining us today. Um, I appreciate this wonderful knowledge that you've shared with our listeners. I'd like to start our next um, segment with what are some of the secondary concerns uh, when someone has executive functioning disorder? Absolutely. So when we have a child who has, or even an adult who has an executive function disorder, I really focus on kind of what I mentioned earlier, that problem about the problem. Once we have this occurring, we don't know what's occurring usually is the issue that leads to the problem about the problem. But once it's occurring, what starts to develop after? And for a lot of these kids, that's what actually ends up bringing them to see a professional. We have kids who have very high anxiety. They feel out of control of themselves. They don't understand why they're failing. So they're very, very anxious, very high strung, very quick to react and have big emotions and are teary and fearful and avoiding. Avoidance is a big one. Performance anxiety, social anxiety, um, especially too when I think of kids with executive function deficits it's harder to relate to your peers, especially with ADHD, not because you don't know how to, but you're in the middle of a conversation, you've blipped, you're somewhere else, you come back to the conversation, you respond to whatever you just heard, it wasn't what was just said, but it's what got encoded. And now you're responding inappropriately, everyone looks at you like, you're crazy, because that's not at all what I just asked you. Um, So you get some of that social anxiety as well. We get things like depression, of I'm never good enough, I'll never be good enough. When I think of my good friend, cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, some of those negative thought distortions start to come through of I'm a bad kid, I don't understand why I'm like this, I don't understand why people react to me like this. And then we also get that learned helplessness and sometimes kids get diagnosed with a conduct disorder or an oppositional defiant disorder because they're not listening, they're not behaving they should be. They, I asked them to do something five million times. They're not. And they're starting to react to that. They're starting to get really upset with the authorities in their life because they see authorities as punitive when they're just trying their best. Then they start to react. So we get kids who are inappropriately diagnosed with an oppositional defiant disorder when in reality, there's some sort of executive function deficit that is driving their behavior. So it really takes teasing out what's going on and what's the root of these big emotions that we're feeling, those those big feelings are what tend to bring kids to professionals and bring parents to professionals for some of these kids. You know, uh, I, I see a lot of kids who have executive function deficiencies, and one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that they, they really struggle with their self-confidence and their, you know, their self-esteem. But one of the things that I've noticed also is as they grow, as they get older, I see a lot of adults who come into me, uh, into my office, and, you know, they struggle with the same things. How do you deal with adults who have similar issues? A lot of times getting that answer leads to a lot of changes. You know, having that explanation of, you know, you're not these things that you keep telling yourself you are. 
this is what's going on. This is what's driving your concerns. This is why you feel this way. That can take a big weight off the shoulders. And then it becomes, you know, sending them to you and saying, okay, here's, you know, she's going to help you with all this. Um, She's going to develop these skills. But changing the narrative is really big. When I think about my adults in counseling who have some sort of executive function deficit that was never diagnosed, it becomes changing their narrative. They've developed this thought pattern that they're never going to be good enough. They can't do the things. They have to work five times as hard as anyone else to achieve the same or lesser goal. And it becomes undoing that. How do we show ourselves that, you know, this is maybe an area of weakness for me, but here are five areas of strengths that I have, and here's where I'm successful, and here's how I take this this weakness and turn it into something really great. Absolutely. You know, when people come to me, they're coming in for coaching. They come in, they want to learn specific skill sets to help them improve their executive function skills. They want to be better organized. They want to manage their time better. They want to problem solve better. But what other types of therapies can help an individual with executive function challenges? My first and foremost is gaining those skills. But after they've done that, working with a cognitive behavioral therapist is really important or a dialectical behavioral therapist, depending on how deep into emotions they want to get. I have a a colleague and a friend who we joke all the time because she's very DBT oriented and I'm very CBT oriented. And She's like, I can't do CBT. And then she'll come to me and she's like, I need help with something. And I'm like, I can't do DBT. And then I go to her. Um, But any of those cognitive therapies to address the narrative that you've told yourself, your own personal narrative. Some people too find benefit with maybe even a person-centered psychotherapist. They just want someone to just spill it all to because they didn't have anyone in their life that they could trust. They didn't have anyone that could be beneficial for them. And then there's neurocognitive programs around the Valley too, like Belgian Psychological Services has the MC Squared program. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. a variety of different treatment plans that are out there. What's most important and what I tell everybody is you have to trust the person you're working with because your next steps after realizing what's going on are brutal. They're painful. It's a lot of growth. It's a lot of spilling your soul to someone you don't know. So you really have to trust the professionals that you're working with, that they have your best interest in mind and that you can trust them to not judge, to be there and to help guide you through that, those growing pains that you're experiencing. Absolutely. I I think the most important thing is that that professional is not judgmental. It's, it's really nice to know that there's so many different ways that uh, we can help individuals with executive function challenges, but it's really important to know that we're not the only person that can do the job. If, if an individual is not comfortable with one type of uh, therapy, they have many options. And that I think is, is just amazing because not everything is set to work with every individual. We're all different. We're all unique. So that that's really important to know. Um, and even within like treatments too, is we all have different personalities. Like I'm very much different than you. And so we are going to have people who maybe get along with one of us better and that's okay. Professionals are offended. And I think it's important for people to realize professionals aren't, aren't offended by that. We've literally gone to school to learn that (laughs) everyone thinks differently. So if my personality type isn't a good match for you, I'm going to find you someone who is a good match for you because relationship is what's most important in any sort of intervention process. You are so right. I I spend a lot of time referring my clients to 
different professionals, trying to fit them to the right personality. You know, most of the time it's a good fit, but every now and again, I have to give them options so that they can choose. But you're right. As professionals, we refer because we refer to others. It's not because we can't do the job because it's because the other person might do a better job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then there's too, a lot of times you want to have more of that multidisciplinary approach, big word, but you want a lot of different people to work with you. Obviously not two different therapists because they don't run into different issues, but an executive function coach and a therapist or a neuropsych and a counselor or a school, the more professionals who are there, the more areas of life we're covering because learning a lot of these skills that we're talking about, you know, I joked with you before we started, it's exactly like learning a second language. You can't just learn it in an hour with one person. So the more people you have to support you in different areas, the better. Because what I might help for at school, here are some great school suggestions. You're going to have good ideas of here's what you do for yourself at home. Here's what you do for yourself while you're working on X, Y, and Z. And so having multiple hands in the pot to address different areas of life is going to get more of that blanket support, that wraparound support for people. Exactly. And, and I think it's important for the listeners to know that we as professionals are very comfortable working with other professionals. I personally work with many different professionals. So when a, uh, a client comes to see me, I work with their therapist, I work with their psychiatrist, I work with their primary care. Or I work with their school if they're younger. Um, or I work with their employer sometimes. I, I do have one particular client that his employer is the one who recommended he come in. So, you know, it, it's, it's really important that um, our listeners know that we do not work just as an island. We work as a team. Absolutely. And we love working as a team. So don't hesitate to get all of your providers on the same page. I mean, my most successful stories have been individuals who ask me to continually check in with their therapist to help with the school to attend meetings things like that not because I'm great at what I do but because we're able to come together and form a relationship and form like a a meeting of the minds on how to support the child or the individual but you are great at what you do thank you I realized when I said that that came out of my mouth I was like no I don't mean it like that but let me continue what I'm saying so I don't trip over myself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I knew what you meant, though. Appreciate <laughs> the uh, clarifying, though. <laughs> How does executive functioning deficits affect learning? Great question. So I think back to that perception action coupling that I spoke of, the focus execute domain. When we have difficulty with executive function, we have difficulty maybe acquiring skill sets or we need more repetition. So for example, with an ADHD executive function deficit, I need to hear things more often because I'm missing bits and pieces when it comes in. So the more repetition I have, the better I'm gonna do. But I'm also, especially my bright kids tend to be like, nope, I heard it the first time, I got it, I'm good to go. That I know exactly what I'm doing. And so then we get the roadblock of, now we're dealing with two executive function deficits because I claim gifted as an executive function deficit, even though it's not. Um, two deficits kind of coming together and creating a perfect storm of, I got it wrong the first time, but I'm not able to adjust to learn something new. Um, When I think of planning an organization, I think of, are we taking the steps in problem solving so that we can demonstrate our knowledge appropriately? Because we might understand it, but then the execution of problem solving with what we understand, there's a breakdown there. 
I have difficulty automating skill sets, so then I have a hard time automating um, foundational skills. So some kids need those foundations repeated over and over and over again. They're constantly practicing their basic math facts, even up to taking the SAT and the ACT, because their brain has a hard time automating those fundamentals. So when we try to load more onto that faulty foundation, the house starts to crumble. Um, so executive function can shape learning in a lot of different ways, and it can have major impacts on our learning and our learning style, and it's important for teachers and parents to understand where the breakdown is so that we can help support in that specific area. When you talked a minute ago about um, giftedness being an executive function challenge, um, can you explain that a little bit more for the listeners? Totally. Um, and a lot of this I get to, I have to give credit to both my previous mentor, Paul Welgen and James Webb, because James Webb is the grand pooba of gifted in my eyes. I mean, my own personal opinion, you, everyone has their own, but he was the first one that I know of. And I think most people know of who really recognized that gifted kids have their own baggage. You know, most of us here, oh, my kid's gifted. And we're like, oh, boohoo, your life's so easy. Like, good job. But that's not true with gifted kids. Gifted no. kids are not easy. No, they, no, no. <laughs> no, not at all. They have so much baggage. They, you know, are perfectionists. So I'm not going to do something if I'm not going to do it right. Or if I don't do something right or you correct me, it's going to be a mini meltdown or a major meltdown because gifted kids are also intense. So they're very yes, intense. Or you're going to practice this while, you know, while I'm alone because I don't want to watch you. I don't want you to see me make a mistake. Correct. Or I'm not going to practice because then I'm making a mistake. Or I know how to do it right. So I'm not going to do it over and over and over again because exactly. repetition is boring. So then you get the kids who are bored in school, who are doing repetition, who I got this the first time. Why am I doing it over and over and over again? So then there are also the behavior problems in school. They're emotionally intense, so they're overwhelming for parents. They're like a little energizer bunny. They look like they have ADHD, even if they don't have ADHD, because they're so cerebral and in their own thoughts that you said one thing, they're off on that track, and they're going. And they're like, yep, I am following this thought path. Now they've missed everything else they've said, not because they have ADHD, but because their brain just wants to absorb information is making these connections so fast that they're, they've just taken off and they've missed everything. You know, I've, I worked with a highly gifted kid who said he falls asleep during movies because a character will mention something that he knows something about. And then he goes down and he's like, starts thinking about it and gets all intense about it. And then by the time he comes back to the movie, he has no clue what happened. So he just takes a nap <laughs> because he doesn't sleep at night because gifted kids also sometimes have difficulty sleeping. So they have, they mimic a lot of these executive function deaths. It's not because they have them, but because their brain thinks very differently than their neurotypical peers do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have uh, two daughters and both are um, gifted and I, I can see all of these challenges in both of them. And my older one actually had executive function challenges on top of it. So talk about a challenging <laughs> life, yeah, you know. Twice exceptional kids are my, I, I love them. I adore them yeah. because they're dealing, they're an uphill battle every day and they are so in their own way and they don't realize how in their way that they are. So we're dealing with the intensity of the gifted. Now we're dealing with the deficit and the gifted kid who doesn't want to have deficits, who thinks everything they do is perfect. And then when they fail, it becomes this big emotional, intense meltdown. And it's how, oh, do, we, yeah. how do we rectify this? And it's exhausting it for everybody. Is. 
That is true. It's very exhausting. Um, and speaking about, you know, environments for um, kids with executive function, what is the best environment that you can think of for um, executive function disorders? It's definitely a kid-by-kid basis, but my take-home message for every parent I work with, and I'm sure if any of my parents are listening, they'll laugh when I say this, is structure, consistency, and routine. Those are my big three. Those are my top three. We have to structure the environment. And that's not like everything needs to be you know, organized. It all needs to be in a specific place. That's good. Because if you think about it, if my shoes are always in the same place every day, I'm not going to leave the house without my shoes on because I'm just going to get that procedural knowledge and I'm just going to go through and it's going to be just a habit instead of me actively putting my shoes on. Um, But structure as far as we do our homework in the same order every day. So we do something that's called priming our brain. So in order for my brain to be ready to do whatever activity I'm going to do, for example, studying, in order for my brain to be primed to read the chapter, I'm going to read the introduction. I'm going to read all the headers. I'm going to read the discussion questions in the back so that my brain is now primed for the information that's coming in. So when we do things like we do our homework in the same order every day, we always start with math. Once our math assignment's done, our brain is primed of now it's reading time. Now it's writing time. So we're moving on. So that structure, that's what I'm thinking of when I think structure. Mm -hmm. Consistency is doing it. Like I just said, same order every day, sticking with it. And that's the hardest thing, especially with these executive function deficits is they're not going to work right away. The storm always gets worse before it gets better. So we're going to put these things in place. And it's going to be a struggle and it's going to be a fight, especially for my kids who are later to be diagnosed to have got this learned helplessness and all this other baggage going on. It's going to get worse. They're going to react very negatively to this, but sticking with it, staying consistent with it and doing it every day, doing it over spring and fall and over summer, especially my, my pack kids, my perception action coupling kids, they're losing a ton of information over school breaks. So over school breaks, we're sticking with the same school schedule. We're still reviewing the material. We're using those times to go over foundational skills. All of that is important. Absolutely. As an educator, I, I second that. <laughs> and you know those kids. So that's another thing. Going back question way at the beginning. And that's another thing I look for is during school breaks is your kid losing a lot more than they are because then's where we need to keep up. And then having routines. All right, kind of what I talked about first. My phone is always in the place, my same place. My shoes are always in the same place. I have these set routines of how we do things so that I'm ready. Because if we have a routine in place, we're less likely to get big reactions um, when we ask kids to do things, ask kids to comply, because this is how we always do it. So they're going to be expecting it's how we always do it, and we're going to move on. Absolutely, and and I agree with everything you just said completely. When I work with kids, including my kids, my, my young, my kids are now adults, but when they were younger, they, these were very important things, you know, make sure that you have routines, make sure that you are consistent with things, make sure that you have a structure in your household. Um, and, you know, I think some people know these things just intuitively. <laughs> this, is, this is something that comes to some people naturally, but it's not natural for everybody and especially not for executive function deficiencies. Well, if I think about it too, like your kids with executive function deficiencies, the role of the adults in the family is to be that executive function for their child. They cannot do it. So you have to do it. So yes, your 12 year old still needs constant reminders. Your 12 year old still needs X, Y, and Z because they have a brain based disorder. 
So it's okay to be their executive function because you're showing them the skills and they're helping to develop those routines. They're helping to develop those skills on their own. And it might be 18 by the time they get those skills and that's perfectly okay. But the more we model that behavior for them and get them out of their own way, the more they're going to be able to see, look, you can be successful as long as, you know, you do X, Y, and Z to help your brain succeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and executive functions are complex. And I, and I think that, you know, if, if somebody does not understand or doesn't recognize if they have executive function deficiencies or if their child has it, it's okay to go ask for help. It's okay to go to a professional and, and see what they can do for you. Um, we have a few minutes left um, in the show, and I just would like to talk a little bit about um, any advice you'd like to offer, you know, children or parents, just any, any advice that you'd like to offer. Absolutely. You know, for parents, it's you are your kid's best advocate. You are your kid's best chance at making it in this world and you know your your kids the best I mean you have the tools to help them succeed even if it feels like you don't and so don't you know not hesitating to reach out even for just a consultation with a professional of hey I feel like something's going on I'm not sure what I should do you know reaching out is important and for kids of if you have an executive function deficit that sets you apart from the rest of us I mean the rest of us have just gone through the motions, we do things how we're told to do them, we do things as people instruct us to, but that's not you. You are able to do things differently and see things differently than your average person. And because of that, you are set up to be so much more successful than everyone else. You're set up to think differently, to be different so that you stand out. It's how do you harness that energy you have and how do you figure out your strengths and weaknesses to use that to your advantage so that you can live up to the potential that you've been given? Because these kids really have been given a different look on life that none of us have been blessed with, only them. And so how do they harness that energy? And it really becomes focusing. What is your end goal? What do you want to do? And how do we achieve that based on what we know about you? So that you can, because those kids are going to rule the world one day, whether or not they know it, they have every ability to. I agree with you. I I think they definitely need to learn how to harness um, those skills and and really focus on their strengths. Um, And that's something that I work on, um, with my clients every day is, you know, focusing on their strengths, building those negative or those deficiencies so that they become strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, um, I do appreciate you offering your expertise today. Um, it was wonderful talking to you. It was really fun. Uh, I had a really, blast. Thank you again yeah. for having me. I'm super honored. Yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime. It was just really fun just having this conversation with you. Um, and I know that we had, um, probably a little bit more we could talk about, but maybe we'll do this again sometime in the near future. Um, So once again, I just want to thank Dr. Sarah Bald um, for talking with us today. Um, If you'd like to listen to uh, the show as a podcast, feel free to go to voiceamerica.com and under the empowerment station, you can go to uh, focus on success and find Dr. Bald's podcast. You can also find other podcasts there as well. Um, I am Fazia Costi. I am your host today, and I am an executive function coach. You can find me at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Uh, look forward to next week. 
Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.